what you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. Hello, weary internet travelers, and welcome once again to the Before and After Show. I'm still your host, MJ Smith, and if you haven't listened to the show before, welcome. Um, each week I take a film that I've never seen before, I give you my expectations for it, and then I give you a second episode the following week where I will have watched the film, and I will let you know what I actually thought of it. So um, I think today's we have uh, some interesting things to say based on our expectations versus the reality of the film. Um, I'm joined by uh, Corey Tyndall. Hello, Internet World again. Yep, Corey was on the last episode with me uh, to give expectations for New York, New York. He also heard the music you heard. He also wrote and performed the music you heard at the top of the show and the, uh, the in-between um, music when we go from what we watched this week into our actual uh, breakdown of, of the film. So, yeah. welcome back. Uh, it's good to have you back. Last episode was super fun. So that I'm was glad, really fun. Glad I you're back. I quite enjoyed that. Yep. <clears throat> um, if you haven't listened to the last episode, you should because he talks about the inspiration for for the theme song that you guys will be hearing from now on. And it's really good. It turned into this like really good uh, conversation about jazz music. Yeah, it was fun. Yep. So, uh, I don't think we really have much of that to, uh, this mm-hmm. week, so we'll jump right into it. Did you watch anything this week? I did watch a couple things this week. Um, a couple days ago, my wife and I rented this interesting, kind of obscure British movie called My Old Lady with um, uh, Maggie Smith. Okay. Kevin- I was That was the first person <laughs> that popped into my brain when you said My Old Lady. British actors. Who's on the list? <laughs> But yeah, Maggie Smith, um, Kevin Klein was in it. I guess he is a very big British actor in terms of like Shakespeare movies. And another British actress that I can't remember her name, Samantha something. Okay. But British film, um, kind of kind of more of like a people study movie. Um, I was I would, if I had to define it, kind of like a black comedy. Okay. Um, the trailer I watched for it was very deceiving. It was a lot more black than I was expecting. My wife and I were expecting, oh, Maggie Smith, she's really good. It'll probably be kind of more lighthearted comedy. And, yeah, a lot darker. Okay. But <laughs> it was really good. Um, kind of a movie dealing more with, like, the choices that people make and how that affects other, you know, specifically children. Because okay. the movie centers around Kevin Klein, who is this, like, late middle-aged man who's kind of grown up with nothing he kind of described himself as a loser no money and he shows up at this apartment in france i think and this is where he meets maggie smith and she's in this apartment that he has been given after his father has died so he's inherited it and you kind of see the dynamic of like Maggie Smith knew Kevin Klein's father, and Kevin Klein didn't really know his father, and so it kind of unpacks all these dynamics of, like, 
my father was like this, and Maggie Smith was is you know your father was more like this. You didn't really know him. Oh wow! And it's kind of, and then you have Maggie Smith's daughter, which is a Samantha actress. I can't remember her full name. She comes into the mix too, and you kind of start to see how Maggie Smith's character, um, her relationship with Kevin Klein's dad has affected Kevin Klein's character um, because Maggie Smith, her character, had an affair with his father. And that led to a whole bunch of negative turmoil in Kevin Klein's family, primarily his mother being depressed and ultimately killing herself and that affecting his character. And you see he struggles a lot with like mental illness and kind of like, why is it me in my life? And then you see... Maggie Smith, that affair also affecting, like, her daughter who lives with her because her daughter is like, I've been here this whole time, but I don't feel like you love me. I feel like I'm just here serving you out of obligation, and I've never got to fully live my life. And so it's, it's, it's this movie that's really just about choices and how that affects other people. And it's not really, like, it doesn't really get tied up with a nice, pretty bow at the end. I mean, it's a dark comedy, and so if you kind of would say, like, everything... There's a point at, like, three-fourths of the way through the movie where it's like, it could have been a drama, and there's something the way it's directed that it turns in. It's like, okay, it ends on a more light note, but there's a lot of really heavy themes <laughs> addressed um, in it, so... That sounds super interesting, especially where it's like... The, the the I like that idea of exploring like, you know, you you have a certain idea of your parents when you're a child, and then like, you grow up and you're like, oh, they're like, I, I they were my age. Like, you, the closer you get to their age currently, the yeah. more you're like, they were the same age I was at a certain point, and like, they also didn't really know what to do. Yeah. Like, because I feel like almost <laughs> no one I know like has like a good grasp of their life. <laughs> you're like, um, I want to be an adult, and then you're like. Never feel like I actually arrived at being an adult. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I, I like that idea of like, oh yeah, they were just like do, going through the same things, and like they were just a couple people. Like, yeah, you know, you have this idea of your parents because they like fostered you and raised you, and like you mm -hmm. love them, but like at the same time, like you don't you realize like, oh, they were like how I am. Yeah, and I don't trust myself with a <laughs> child right now. Yeah, what the heck, mom and dad? Like, um, so I, I like that idea of like a film exploring that. I haven't heard of the movie, so. Yeah, so British film. I think you would enjoy it. Okay, so. cool. Yeah. Uh, did you watch anything else? Or I did. Last night we we stayed in and we watched a movie about food. So we watched uh, the Hundred Foot Journey. My wife is a okay. big fan of like cooking and baking movies, and so I guess this movie actually had the same director as uh, the movie Chocolat. Oh, okay. So very nice scenes of uh food it's definitely one of those movies you don't want to watch when you're hungry yeah because you'll eat <laughs> you'll be like oh, i need some food but um in terms of just like is the that helen helen miriam yes okay basic premise of the movie happens in france um she has a very successful restaurant and an indian family from india they move there and i don't know any of the indian actors names but the the lead guy um, who is like the father and then the son who is the chef they're both um like i guess prominent actors in india okay. so anyway they they come there and they establish their restaurant here in france and they're kind of like you know nobody likes french food and the father keeps saying like they don't know because they've never tried it and so yeah. you kind of have 
these two cultures clashing and ultimately I feel like a lot of food movies kind of revolve around like food brings people together and so that's kind of the central theme and then you kind of have the the significance of the title the hundred foot journey because the restaurants are literally like right across the street from each Mm -hmm. other but the kind of significance of like it's the journey of crossing cultural and like racial boundaries okay because they kind of come to accept each other because you know they have a lot of back and forth where like um helen's character is like you know oh in india you just overdo it with spices and you need to appreciate just like the subtle like taste of a single sauce and you know you have the indian father who's like if you have a spice just use lots of it spoon it in there don't just like sprinkle it and so you kind of get that and there's a little bit of like a love story in there too and just it ultimately just centers around family so it's nothing like new and innovative that hasn't been done but mm-hmm. it's, it's enjoyable it's just kind of a nice light-hearted fun movie it sounds actually a lot like chocolate in the sense that like you know johnny depp's character is kind of mm-hmm. this like weird outsider to this town and like mm-hmm. he kind of it's been a long time since i've seen it so i've never I'm, actually seen it okay so. it's it's a weird mm-hmm. one um but like he's like this outsider into this town and like johnny depp's in it yeah he's one of the main characters he's the main love interest for the woman in the movie oh, johnny depp how he's, you appear in everything <laughs> yep <laughs> um and like juliet uh binochet i believe is how you pronounce that um she plays like the, this chocolatier who like works in this chocolate shop and like mm-hmm. they kind of fall in love but like he's super like free-spirited and she's super like by the books and they use like the food to like illustrate that like she's a famous chocolatier because of how like straight up her chocolate is um yeah that movie was that movie was okay but Mm -hmm. i haven't seen the hundred foot journey i actually didn't know that's what it was about i didn't know it was a food movie yeah um it's funny that you brought (laughs) that up because i didn't actually watch too much this week and i was thinking about watching chef because it just got added to Netflix. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have you seen <clears throat> Chef yet? No, or? I haven't. I don't really know anything about it. Just... Oh, okay. It's, uh, you know, John Favreau? Mm-mm. Uh, the guy that directed the Iron Man movies. Oh, okay. And he plays, like, the bodyguard or whatever in the Iron Man movies. Yeah. He directed this movie called Chef, where he stars as a chef mm-hmm. who gets tired of, like, cooking the same stuff day in and day out at, like, yeah. whatever diner he works at. So he quits. Gets a food truck and, like, starts going across the country learning how to cook all this food. But, like, oh. he learned how to cook for the movie. Like, there's supposedly <laughs> a bunch of shots of him, like, chopping food. And it's, like, yeah. clearly him chopping food. Yeah, he did it. Yeah, so I, I heard it's really good. And I haven't seen it yet. Um, and there's, like, some cameos in that. I think he called in some Iron Man favors. Oh. <laughs> um, and got people to show up. But <clears throat> that movie's supposed to be really good. But the reason I was going <clears throat> to watch Chef is because I've been obsessed this week with Gordon Ramsay's YouTube channel. Oh. He's got a YouTube channel, and I learned that this week. And yeah. I've just been watching all kinds of him cooking delicious-looking food. <laughs> and, like, I'll watch them right before I go to bed, and, like, I get super hungry. And, and then you're like, like, I need like, to eat something. Yeah, what and then just I? fall asleep. <laughs> <clears throat> so it's funny that you brought up a cooking movie, because I've mm-hmm. been super into watching cooking stuff this week. And even yesterday when I got home... Uh, Apparently, that's, like, a bug that's bitten people lately. Because, oh. like, I got home from work yesterday, and my roommate was watching The Mind of a Chef yeah. on Netflix, which is this, like, <laughs> PBS cooking show. Yeah. So, I get, <clears throat> I don't know. I wonder if it's because it's, like, the weather's changing, and everyone's like, let's cook some fresh things. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. That's super funny. Yeah. Did you watch anything else? That was it for me this week. Okay. Um, what about you? Anyway? Yeah, I haven't really watched <laughs> anything this week. Um I did watch uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. 
Um, I don't a, know if you... It's a TV show. Okay. And it stars Andy Samberg. From Lonely Island? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Andy Samberg, Terry Crews, Andrew Brogger, Chelsea Peretti, Joe LaTrulio. Just like this mm-hmm. who's who of like improv and Saturday Night yeah. Live people. And they are a police precinct. And it's mm-hmm. just like all this goofy stuff that happens in this police precinct. And yeah. it's hilarious. It's so funny. You guys need to watch it. It's <laughs> if you liked like 30 Rock or Parks and Rec or something, it's those shows in in a <laughs> uh, in a Brooklyn police precinct. It's super funny. You know, the first shot of the first episode is him doing a monologue from Donnie Brasco. And like <laughs> It's him trying to be, like, serious cop monologue status. And then, like, his partner's like, what are you doing? He's like, the best monologue from Donnie Brasco. (laughs) Uh, And so it's just, like, super weird stuff like that. If you guys have seen the Precinct movies, it kind of feels like... uh, Yeah, Precinct. Woo! It kind of feels like like those movies. Hi, Brothers Moray. (laughs) It feels like those movies, but, like, as a TV show with a much bigger budget and uh, less emphasis on the action it's mm-hmm. it's much more like a straight up goofy comedy yeah but it's super hilarious it's it's just got a lot of like really good talent behind it and mm-hmm. super likable people like every yeah. performance is like you just like those people as actors so yeah it's it's super easy to watch it's super fun to watch um like i belly laugh in almost every episode <laughs> at least once like there's there's a bunch of super good jokes in there so yeah they're in their second season now we're in their first season mm-hmm. um currently but that's that's kind of all i watched this week but i have a podcast recommendation this week all right um there's a podcast called welcome to night vale and it's almost a radio play. So th- it, this is kind of abstract, so no. go with me. The The setup for the show is that it takes place... It's, it's a community radio broadcast for a non-existent town called Night Vale. Okay. And just all kinds <laughs> of weird stuff happens in it. Like the director <laughs> of the school board is a glow cloud that occasionally rains dead animals amongst the board members. What? And like... <laughs> The superintendent of schools is a small fist-sized river rock. Um, <laughs> it's 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 like a Twilight Zone podcast. It's really good. Oh. It's really good. But there's this uh, th- there's this cast of characters that shows up and and gets talked about. And there's like the the main guy who does it is uh, a guy named Cecil Baldwin. But his character on the show is Cecil Palmer. So he plays like a different version of himself. Um, the cat's getting into stuff. So so it's kind of like the Twilight Zone, the TV show. It's uh, or the no, it's kind of like the Twilight Zone, the podcast. And there's this like cast of characters that show up like John Peters, the farmer and like mm-hmm. um, the, the boyfriend of the main character is, is a scientist named Carlos. And yeah. just all these like locations around town. And they do like an incredible job of building this world Mm -hmm. that like previously didn't exist yeah it just didn't exist and now they they made it yeah and like you know super weird stuff happens like in the back of the bowling alley there's a small city underneath the lanes um (laughs) and and like uh and it's all recurring like these characters and these locations and these things keep popping up like there's a dog park in the middle of the park that is forbidden for anyone to go into but like Mm -hmm. one of the interns from the stations ends up going into the dog park yeah and she's missing for like a year and so it's it becomes this like year-long arc over the course of the podcast of like (laughs) her being stuck in the dog park but like sending the guy texts and like Mm -hmm. calling him from time to time and then like figuring out a way out of the dog park but then she's in like 
an alternate dimension and then yeah. trying to get her out of the alternate dimension now. So they, they like do an amazing world building job with just what we're doing right now. Just audio. That's awesome. It's really good. It's There's like, like kind of like modern storytelling. Yeah. It. Yeah. It's like a radio play basically. Um, but like th- there's uh there's 62 63 episodes of it available right now. They're only like 20 to 30 minutes each, so they're really easy to listen to. Yeah. I'm in the 50s ish mm-hmm. of of this show right now and uh it's it's really good. They just uh they just paid off this like big two-year arc that they were working towards right. in in like a live show and like yeah. there's there's really creative really good stuff going on there, there's like a mayoral campaign within the show <laughs> between uh a faceless old woman who secretly lives in your home and this guy named Hiram mcdaniels except he's not actually a guy he's literally a five-headed dragon oh. and they're they're running for mayor <laughs> um and just like this weird stuff, I, did you ever read the Wayside Elementary books when you were in school? No, I didn't. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Okay, it seems like it's like Wayside Tales or like Wayside Elementary turned into a town, and then they made a podcast about yeah. it. Yeah, and I think it's also really interesting because it's a pretty popular podcast. Like they do a live tour every year, wow. and they sell out shows like pretty consistently. Yeah. And I haven't heard of any of these people before. Like, it's not like the Nerdist were like, yeah. oh yeah, Chris Hardwick had like done stuff before. Yeah. Or like, you know, a lot of comedians have podcasts. Yeah. Like, Mark Marin has WTF. He's been around. Chris mm-hmm. Diella has a podcast. He's been around. Yeah. But like the Welcome to Night Vale guys, I'd never heard of them until they started doing Welcome to Night Vale. Yeah. And like, Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Craner are the, the creative minds behind it. And they write every episode, and every mm-hmm. once in a while they'll, like, get a co-writer in yeah. with them. But it's just this group of people that decided <laughs> to create this thing. And, like, there's a couple other, like, radio show um, style, like, radio drama style podcasts out there. There's one called yeah. Thrilling Adventure Hour. Mm-hmm. But Thrilling Adventure Hour is a bunch of comedians that are, oh. like, established. Yeah. And, like, these guys just kind of came out of nowhere. And, like, they were like, we're doing this too now. So I think it's a really good testament to, um, you know, it's 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 a Cinderella story kind of like it's yeah. few and far between that it happens, but a podcast can sort of break through mm-hmm. the denseness of like already established people who yeah. are doing podcasts. You just got to have the right hook. So it's encouraging for me as a podcaster, yeah. but it's also super entertaining for mm-hmm. anyone to listen to. It's it's. I don't know. It's really good. Um, a lot of people describe it as like a Stephen King podcast, but I don't think it's quite as scary. Yeah. Um, there's there's more like goofy elements to so it. So it's like lighthearted at points. Yeah, and... it's pretty hilarious actually. <laughs> like there's like a there's like a cat that lives in the men's bathroom, <laughs> but he hovers at a fixed point in space four feet above the ground. Oh. Yep. <laughs> um, and like he gives birth to kittens. But they still call it a he. Oh. Yep. It's it's yeah. hilarious. That podcast is really funny, too. But, like, this, like, sort of absurd... This sort of absurd humor, like... Yeah. It can be as surreal as they want because they've constructed the super surreal world, yeah. which is awesome. And there's, like... Like, at the end of every episode, they have, like, a proverb. Yeah. Like, which is just some random surrealistic crap they made yeah. up. <laughs> and, like, the, my favorite one was at the end of the, the episode where they paid off their two-year arc they were building to... Their proverb has nothing to do with the episode. It's just like life advice. Yeah. But it said, they were like, today's proverb, Wonderwall by Oasis is the only 90s song you can see from space. (laughs) And I thought that was hilarious. I thought that was so funny. 
Um, every episode has a song from like, it's a good way of discovering music. We were talking off mic yeah. about like, um, doing a lot of sifting through music. Yeah. They go to the weather in every episode and instead of giving a weather report, they just play a song from a band. Yeah. Um, and so that's the weather. So they'll always say like, today's weather was Sarah Watkins doing this song or whatever. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And like, I discovered a couple bands off of it. Um, mm-hmm. I can't name any of them off yeah. the top of my head, <laughs> but like, I've, I've heard a couple of them where I'm like, oh dang, I'm going to check out the rest of their stuff yeah. like, um so they're they're doing a lot like creatively like it's a pretty big undertaking it yeah. sounds like um and uh yeah it's really cool it's a really good podcast you should check it out i think i will yep welcome welcome to night vale is welcome the name to of it. night vale yep okay. it's a purple sky with like a moon that looks like an eyeball is okay. the logo for it so they're on soundcloud they're on itunes they're they're all over the place go support good podcasts because yeah. You guys are why we do it, so I want to get the word out for them, even though they have no idea I exist. MJ will throw a link someplace. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that's about it for for what I I watched slash listened to mm-hmm. this week. That and there's a band called the Modern Electric. You guys should check out. Modern Electric. Yep. Okay. They're pretty good. So yeah, uh, we'll be back in a second after you hear this uh, little riff that Corey put together to discuss our uh, feelings about the Martin Scorsese film New York, New York. Oh boy. you enjoyed that that's going to be a norm from now on uh cory wrote several riffs that i'm going to be using interchangeably throughout the uh the shows so uh yeah that was yeah. thank you for doing that that's uh <laughs> it it's fun. actually really cool like if you <laughs> listen to the show um it, it re- it's really cool to separate the halves like that so. yeah so last week we <laughs> gave our expectations for this 1977 film called New York, New York. And a little bit of background, New York, New York is a film by Martin Scorsese, who is considered one of the all-time greats mm-hmm. as far as directing goes. He's my favorite director of all time. He's directed some of my favorite movies. And uh, it was sort of him, what I read was it was <laughs> him wanting to pay tribute to both jazz music and the... Um, the like sort of big musicals of the 40s yeah. as well as sort of getting away from the movie he did before this was taxi driver which mm-hmm. was really heavy and like dealt with a lot of like social things and yeah. like vigilantism and like gritty like new york street type stuff he wanted to get away from that because it like kind of broke him <laughs> yeah. being in and out of that all the time he wanted to do something a little more lighthearted, and so that was that was his attempt was was new york new york yeah um so do you want to recap people on what your expectations were for the film? Uh, yes, I can. My expectations, when we sat down and talked about this um, last week, I didn't know a ton. Um, MJ gave me some background as to, you know, the director, and just kind of that he likes to explore hurt people. And so kind of with that in mind... I had the I was under the impression that this would be a musical that had some underlying themes dealing with um, dynamics of people and relationships, um, um, specifically musicians because they were both jazz musicians, and kind of like delving into like how do relationships work um, in regards to like having fame and money and stuff like that, but that it would still be a musical throughout. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's ultimately where we both ended up. Like, I said there would be, like, a dark undercurrent to yeah. the movie. Um, and, and it would be, like, a straight-up musical with a little bit of, like, darkness mm-hmm. hidden underneath. Now, what we got was almost <laughs> the exact inverse of that. Yes. It was very dark <laughs> with a lot of music underneath. Yes. Um, so, so why don't you take it away and... and, and oh. So, so uh, the movie is about... Um, the saxophone player and uh, this woman um, who he basically forces into a relationship with him. Yes. And, and they begin a working relationship and that goes south because it's horribly abusive. Yes. And then he leaves her and then uh, they both get famous separately and then the movie's over. Yes. All in the course of the short time span of... Three and a half hours? No, it was two, two? like, 2.53. Like okay, was, so... Yeah, it was 163 minutes was Ugh. the runtime of this movie. So long, so long. So long. Well, this movie was so crazy, I had to... I had to take... Corey's got notes. This is I the first take, time anyone's taken notes on this. I had to the... take some notes on this, guys. Um, I'm just gonna start out by saying... If you can hear from like the tone of my voice, I, w- I didn't love the movie. I didn't like the movie. I didn't hate the movie. I'm someplace kind of like in between. And so I will say that the movie, New York, New York as a whole, like the individual parts of the movie, I feel were stronger than it as a whole. Yeah. The sum I of agree. its total. Yeah. I agree. Um, And what I mean by that is, like, I feel like there's a lot of, like, instances where um, Scorsese is conveying something that I feel is, you know, he does it in a very, like, poignant or, like, oh, yeah, it really comes across. But then there's other times where those scenes lack cohesion. And so it's just... It's, it's very jarring at points, and it feels like, why is this extra scene in here? Or, like, how does that relate? Or, like, to- a lot of times stuff goes on way too long. Yes. Yes. Um, so, yeah, there's, like... So this movie is pretty famous for having a lot of improv on set as far as the dialogue yeah. and the performances go. And, like, De Niro's, like, a master dramatic improver, mm-hmm. which doesn't really happen that often. Usually when people improv, it's more comedy. But, yeah. like, De Niro's really good at, like making like this really dark choice like he goes to this weird part of his brain and like makes these like crazy dark choices that are super effective within the course of the movie yeah and so it's like that it works really well like even the way he'll like grab liza minnelli's arm like it, yeah. it, it looks like a very specific choice and like he'll say stuff to her that you can watch her genuinely be like really confused about um because he improved it <laughs> and the cat is sniffing Corey's head <laughs> Oh, okay, we're back. Um, and so, like, you, you you watch her get caught off guard, and it's, like, very natural performances. Yeah. And there are two, like, there are kind of two histories to this movie. One is that Liza Minnelli and Scorsese, you're like, oh, yeah, he really encouraged improv, and it was a really good exercise for us as a whole. The producers <laughs> tell the story of, like, Scorsese was on so much cocaine, he couldn't <laughs> control anything that was going on. Uh-huh. Um, and... I, after watching the movie, I am very much in cocaine camp. Yeah, I would um, agree. I was talking to someone after after we had watched the movie, and what I said is there's an incredible movie buried under cartoonishly giant mountains of cocaine. 
Yes. This movie could have been amazing. There's amazing themes. Yes. There's a, it's shot super well. There's amazing camera yeah. work. All the music scenes like look incredible. Yes, the music is amazing. There's so much potential. Yeah. Yeah, it's an exercise in wasted potential yes. is what New York, New York is. Um, every scene with like a band in it is so like lovingly shot. Yeah, it really captures the essence of like the time period. And I mean like something else that I, I made a note of like in regard to that. I feel like you mentioned last time his attention to like music detail. Mm-hmm. It's very much here. Like even just something I noticed the time period that it's set in, you can even see like at this point in just like little jazz history brief snapshot. It's like it was in the time period like right after World War Two, where it's like big band was kind of it was moving away from that and a lot more into like kind of like bebop or like virtuoso jazz musicians. So you see this a lot in uh, um, De Niro's character. He's <laughs> a lot more of like I want to just play like hard like you know fast swing jazz. And that's not necessarily, like, what sells all the time is you, he comes into, like, contact with different people who are like, hey, we don't do that type of music. Yeah. And so there's a lot of just, like, small nods to, like, you know, Scorsese, like, understood history and, like, the music is very accurate to that. And so it's like, I can appreciate things like that. That's yeah. really amazing. And even, like, the opening scene, because the opening scene is on VJ Day in yeah. World War Two, and it's this big party of, like, we won, we won. Yeah. And, like, the first shot is this, like, huge sweeping club shot of like the Tommy Dorsey orchestra playing. Yeah. And it's amazing. Like it's so well shot. And like anytime there's a scene in a jazz club, the camera's just like swooping everywhere. And like, Mm -hmm. there's these crazy, like he opens up the lens so wide and captures like everyone that's in there. And it like feels gigantic. Yeah. I feel like if you watch this on a big screen, it would feel like a giant, giant movie. Yes. In those scenes only. (laughs) Because once you get into the interpersonal stuff, it, it, really falls apart because there's so much improv there's so much like that isn't really clearly conveyed do you feel like the the characters get fleshed out enough no yeah that's what i was thinking too no you get like a sense but i don't really feel like you get as much depth yeah there's like no motivations for these characters to be acting the way they act like he's super controlling and manipulative yes she's super submissive to that but like we never know why yeah there's no reason for them what, to act what the way that they her do to him you know yeah. it's like we never get like any any reason any sort of clarification for that and it, so it's kind of like they just happen to be together yeah and he's not even like a charismatic controlling guy yeah. he's like really creepy and unlikable from the outset yeah it's like he he spends like the first Again, we're talking about scene length being too long. The first opening scene is so long. It's, it's just, like 20 minutes, man. And he's just coming on with like this whole like kind of pickup line that yeah. just goes on forever. And it's just like, there's nothing redeeming or likable about you. But still, you know, it's like they're the two, they're the love interest for the movie. So they end up together. Yeah, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, like we, we get like basically two hours of this. This super abusive, manipulative relationship with jazz music as the backdrop, which Mm -hmm. our expectations were jazz music would be at the forefront, and then this relationship wouldn't necessarily be as abusive as it was. Um, And and but it would be like these hurt people like trying to cope with being hurt and like also dealing with fame that they find. Yeah, but like they don't get famous until after they split up as a couple. Yes, Um, and they both end up finding fame. But the, the first two hours is this sort of exploration of that or this attempt at an exploration of that i would say and it doesn't like really work like 
and the things he reacts to, we found ourselves going like, why did he do that? Yeah. Like we asked why, why are they doing this a lot during mm-hmm. this movie? And, and, and they're good performances. Like De Niro's really good yeah. in it. Les Manoli's really good in it, but there's like no reason yeah. behind like what they're doing. So it's just like, I mean, that was fine. Like there's a it, lot left that I feel like we have to either infer yeah. or just try to make guesses of. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not, coherent like no it's not a coherent movie so then after two hours of this yes um just like watching this relationship drama go back and forth that's like untethered to anything it's just this like waving out in the wind for no reason abusive relationship yep after that they split up because she has a baby it's his baby but they split up because he's because clearly not able to handle the responsibility you know, and of the he's child. like oh this is your fault how dare you get pregnant yeah and jeopardize my career and yeah yeah so they go their separate ways and and, and we fast forward after two hours of watching this yes we fast forward <laughs> a few years later like 11 years later yeah and she has made a name for herself somewhere like it's yeah. it might be broadway but it also might be in the movies yeah because it transfers to her <laughs> in this production of a play or a movie called happy endings yes and and it starts out looking like it's a play yeah but then at the end of the the whole sequence it's a movie that robert de niro is watching yeah but it looked like a play the whole time and it's like a 25 minute sequence yeah that is unconnected completely unconnected to the whole thing where they just show you highlights from this play slash movie yeah called happy endings but it, it gets it tries to get like super meta because in the play slash movie she's in within the actual movie New York New York. And there's a dream in there too, isn't there? Yeah. Yes. She has a dream about becoming a famous Broadway or like film actress. Yeah. So it's just like, wait, how many like it's almost like a poorly done inception where it's like, how many layers deep are we? Inception in this? before it's time? Yeah. No. And like <laughs> that has no reason to be in this movie. Yeah. I, it's like, it's just, it is completely jarring. You know, we're watching, like MJ said, this like really broken, abusive relationship. You're like, okay, what's going on? I don't understand. And then literally, it's just, it cuts to Liza Minnelli's character in, in this whole sequence. And it's just like, what's going on? Where's Robert De Niro? What is happening? Like, you know, it's not revealed until that sequence is over that he's actually watching this movie in a theater, and so it brings it back. But it's just, it completely breaks the immersion of the movie. It completely breaks it. Like, and and it, almost to a point where I had read that that sequence cost the production an extra $350,000. We wonder why this movie was a box office failure. Yeah. Well, and, and also, like, Scorsese, the first cut of this movie was four and a half hours long. <laughs> The first kind of uh, movie was four and a half hours long. They said, no one's going to watch this. And he cut it back to 163 minutes. And then they were like, take out the happy endings thing because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And so he cut it back to like 147 or something minutes. And then when it got re-released to Blu-ray for the 30th anniversary edition, they restored the happy ending sequence. So if you saw that movie in theaters, that happy ending sequence isn't in there. Yeah. And uh, for good reason, because it's super jarring. And it almost makes you wonder why he didn't just make a musical called Happy Endings. 
Because he's clearly good at it. Like, it's not... Once again, it's not poorly done. Yeah. It's It's just just shoehorned into the movie. It's just very out of place. And I mean, it's like we're talking about the music overall throughout this whole movie is very well done. And even in, like, that musical sequence, it's like, it has the caliber of, like, you know, like, the type of musical he was trying to, like, you know, to pay, like, honor to. Yeah. And so I just... Uh, it's just, I don't understand. Yeah, it's a really frustrating movie to watch because of that. Like, it just doesn't... And, like, th- the movie's called New York, New York. And the song New York, New York was written for the movie and was yeah. cemented in music history by Sinatra a year later. But very little of this movie revolves around the writing of that song. Yeah, there's, like, there's glimpses of it, like... um De Niro's character is writing it, the melody and stuff, and in this super controlling way, you know, he's like, he talks to Liza Minnelli, and he says, oh, you could write the lyrics if you let me see all of your past writings and stuff that you've done, and she's kind of just bullied into it, and so the the song doesn't actually come to fruition till the end of the movie. You just keep getting, like, hints of it throughout you know, their abusive relationship, you know, he'll play part of it on the piano or she's kind of writing a line and she's saying it out loud without music. And so you kind of get hints of it, but it doesn't actually surface until the end of the movie. Yeah. And like when it happens at the end of the movie, it's supposed to be this like journey, like it's supposed to be the summation of this journey you went on with these characters. But like, it's like a minute and a half of screen time total is them writing this song. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like, not always, but I feel like the title, you know, you can use the title to hold significance or kind of, like, tie the movie together as a whole. And I just I just feel like it wasn't really, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, the, the title of the movie is really confusing because, like, the movie mostly doesn't take place in New York. Yeah. <laughs> at all. Like, there's, like, the first maybe 45 minutes does, and then you're on the road with them in, yeah. like, a bunch of random podunk towns for, like, an, an hour. hour. And then she's in a movie, and then he, it, you find out he's famous, like, as a footnote. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, he started his own orchestra and tours the world now. Yep. And then she performs New York, New York, and he goes to the performance of that, and then the movie's kind of over. Yeah. Like, not really much happens when, like, there could have been... There were, there were so many, like, missed opportunities yes. for, like, significant things to happen. Yeah. Um, regarding these people's careers, like... It's supposed to be an exploration of their careers, but it, like, never gives you anything. It's supposed to be an exploration of their relationship, but it never gives you anything. Yeah. I just, like, I've never seen a movie say it's about all these ambitious things and then not give you any of them. Yeah, it's just like, we came up short. Yeah. Do you feel in terms of, you said Scorsese really likes to kind of delve into, like, how people are hurt or what that looks like. Do you feel like there was a good job of portraying that, you know, between... De Niro's character and Liza Minnelli and their relationship and then like the relationship was just you know De Niro wanting to be famous and I think that was actually pretty well done I think like I think you could tell they were hurt yeah it was very obvious that both of them had some demons in their closet I think their motivations as to why were super muddy and I didn't like that yeah it wasn't a very good exploration of that it was a very good portrayal of them being hurt though in his movies, since I'm not super familiar with a lot of them, does he tend to just explore those feelings, or does he tend to explore them and bring about some sort of resolution or some sort of answer? 
Not necessarily, um, but he he gives you a cause. Okay. Um, most of the time, most of his movies start with like the main character as a child having a trauma happen to them, yeah, or having an interaction that like breaks them, mm-hmm. um, and then like you see them as an adult, yeah, and that and he that may be a lesson he learned from this. Like he was, we got to keep in mind this was like his third movie ever. Okay. Like he wasn't like the Martin Scorsese yeah. after this, but he was well on his way to being that because Mean Streets was so good yeah. and like. De Niro played a super hurt character in that. And, like, Taxi Driver was so good. And, like, he played a super hurt character in yeah. that. But, like, there were good motivations behind that. Yeah. Um, and, and so, like, you know, it's it's hard to say, like, oh, like, it's crazy that Scorsese had a misstep here. And it's like, yeah. well, not really. Like, it's his third movie. Like, yeah. Give the guy a break, I guess. And it's, and it's something completely different. I mean, like, I tried to, if you would try to, like, categorize this, would I say, like, maybe, like, it's a musical noir or, like, music... Like, I, I don't know. So it's funny that you say that because that's how Scorsese describes it exactly. Really? He describes New York, New York as a musical noir. Because I'm like, it's not like a dark comedy. No, it's not funny at all. It's not a musical, but yeah. music is very prominent. So I just... Yeah. Um, there's one thing I do actually really, really like about this movie. And that's um, this like unease you feel in their relationship. Yeah. Because you constantly expect him to hit her at some point and he doesn't and it feels like that was very intentional like Mm -hmm. they wanted you to feel like oh he's gonna get physically abused like he's aggressive with her as far as like grabbing her and verbally and and very verbally abusive and like emotionally manipulative Mm -hmm. but you expect that like you expect all that to come to a head of like it's going to lead into physical violence Mm -hmm. um and, like, it doesn't, and it really, like, makes you think about, like, oh, yeah, abuse can also be emotional. Yeah. Like, it's just as violent and vile to do what he did to her yeah. without going yeah. to physical violence. And, like, it makes you, like, really think about that. And so I like that unease that you felt. Like, yeah. You know, it didn't feel good, but, like, it was very well yeah. illustrated. Every time they were on screen together, it was just, like, and they'd start to get into a fight, you would feel the sense of tension or kind of like i don't want to be in the room watching like you know like when you see you know a couple you know like get into like a scuffle in public and you're kind of like can i pretend i'm not here or just like leave the room or something you know it's kind of it's kind of that magnified a whole bunch because they're extreme personalities yeah in this movie yeah so i i did really like that i thought that keeping that tension in there was really good whether that was Mm -hmm. an intentional choice or not i'm not sure but it worked really nicely (laughs) in the movie so that was like that was something to love about the movie. The music selections were all mm-hmm. really good. Um, the scene where she's in a recording booth and she sings a song is yeah. incredible. Yeah, it's so really good. good. Um, and it was recorded live. It was the only scene that was recorded like the the music performance was recorded live. Mm-hmm. But like, I, there's nothing like it. Just never like comes together. It's just like yeah. everything just like misses itself. Yeah, like, there's there's so many good pieces. There's so much potential again, and it's just it doesn't lock in. It's just, uh, and that and that's the thing that's hard about this movie because I I do want to like it. I mm-hmm. love jazz music. Um, you know the premise, just like on paper, it sounds like a, a typical musical. You have two people, they meet. There's music. They whatever. And this is just so not that yeah it just falls apart it just folds in on itself and like, i try to and i try to and it's hard because you know of like his history and like the director what he was going on like going through at this time you're like were some of these things intentional that happened that are good or did they just like 
fall into place accidentally, you know? I I think there's part of me that thinks, like, oh, I think the movie does a good job of showing some some of the tension that you can't... A lot of people in the music industry feel that you can't have everything, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, I mentioned this a little bit last time. I feel like a lot of musicians or people who become like prominent in the media or whatever, there's there's a dark side to that that a lot of people are not the best at balancing, and so it kind of becomes like, can I really have this deep, intimate relationship? and be super successful or famous or does one have to be sacrificed and I oh, feel that's like, a really good point I feel like some of that came across because we you know like De Niro's character mentions multiple times he's like the order of how I want things is like you know I want to be super famous you know saxophone player I want to have a club and then I want love I want like a woman and he very much stays to that course throughout the whole movie, and so you see that even as much as like he claims to love Liza Minnelli's character, and there's even parts of me that struggle with, like, do they really love each other? Yeah. You see that his choice is like, I'm going to go for fame. I'm going to go for success. And I feel like Scorsese, again, I don't know if this is intentional or if it just happened, it, it came across very well of, like, there is a choice to be made. And even... Um, Liza Minnelli's character, you know, after you have that whole extravagant sequence, you see she's famous and everything, and she has her son. She still kind of seems like she's forlorn and like, you know, I wish it could have worked out. I wish. Yeah, there's this really great shot in there that I'm actually putting up as the episode image for this, mm-hmm. where it's after she performs New York, New York, and he walks in and he sees she sees him in a mirror. Yeah, and it's like like just like a quarter of her face. It's just the eyeball. Yeah looking in the mirror at him and like i feel like that's a really good illustration of everything you just like yeah said like it's it just brings everything together of like Mm -hmm. she sees him and like you see in her eye even and like that's the only thing of hers that's in frame and you see his whole figure in the mirror you see in her eye her go like i miss him yeah but i don't want to go back to that yeah and ugh, i give applause that she did not go back to him at the end yeah yeah I read someplace, I guess, like, Scorsese shot an alternate ending where they did go back together. Yeah, they the, the, the alternate ending is that she goes to meet him after the show, and it ends with them walking away talking about their son. And then it just goes to credits. Yeah. And I feel like either way really kind of works. I feel like one's much sadder than the other. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like the way the movie's structured, like... I don't think that's a worse ending. Yeah. Um, I, I think it would it's have been just in, as good. It's sad in a different way, I yeah. feel like. You know? Yeah. I don't think it would have been a bad ending still. Like, yeah. It would have been disappointing from like our, like, you because know, that we want good things for these people yeah. and that's not a good thing and for you, them. And you feel like the minimal character growth that there is, you're like, Liza Minnelli, your character has been, has hopefully seen that was an abusive relationship. Don't go back. Yeah. But, you know. It's still sad because she can't be with, like, the father of her son. and Yeah, I would imagine that's probably why they chose that ending over the one where they get back together. Where, yeah. Like, you know, when when she sings that song in the recording booth, it's, like, it's basically her screaming, I'm done with this. Yeah. And that's, re- like, it's a really good scene. Yeah. But, like, it, it's it's character growth from her, and, like, he never really grows. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's pretty minimal character growth from her still. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not great, but it's um, more than we've gotten over the course of the movie, so yes. I guess we'll take what we can get. 
so you know to sort of finalize finalize it what i mean what do we think like would i recommend it to um i guess i would i could possibly recommend it but there'd be caveats that you'd need to know beforehand going into it it's not musical yeah um it's very dark and even though you know it's like it's not your typical Scorsese film. I mean, like, it's a PG-rated... It's still very dark, and, like, on the emotional level, and just their abusive relationship, uncomfortable at some times. Um, I feel like, like we said, there's pieces that merit, like, you know, they explore good things, they do good things really well, but just it's not cohesive as a whole. And so... um, if you're interested, if like if you're a big fan of him, if you're a big fan of jazz, if you're a big fan of, um, I don't know, just exploring that type of world, then maybe I could say like, yeah, go go watch it. With those things in mind, but I mean, for just your your general person who's like, oh, I love musicals or I love. Uh, you know, I just, I love jazz music or something. It's like, I probably would say, yeah. probably pass on this one. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, go, go watch your Oklahoma or go watch your, some other just, you know, lighthearted musical. <laughs> yeah. Or like Chicago yeah. or like all that jazz. Yeah. If you, if you're a jazz yeah. musical person, like stuff like that. Yeah. I, I agree. It's over long. It's so long. Yeah. <laughs> Movie could have been 45 minutes shorter and it would have yeah. been way better. Um, it's so long. Uh, and on top of that, scenes go on way too long. Yeah. Scenes should end like three minutes <laughs> before they end. Like, um, it just gets uncomfortable sitting there, just being like, "Okay, and cut." Yeah, please cut now. Yeah. So, as a Scorsese sort of purist or or almost completionist, I I do think it's it's is it necessary necessary to like complete the filmography, but yeah. for no other reason than that, and like you get to see. Sort of his first attempt at, at shooting mm-hmm. music, yeah. which is a big part of his later career with like The Last Waltz, shooting concert films, The Last Waltz, mm-hmm. and Shine a Light, and his music documentaries on like George Harrison and Bob Dylan. Like, I think it's interesting to see that. Like, it's interesting to see, like, it's interesting to watch it after you've seen everything else, basically, yeah. and like watch his like musical sensibilities start to, ve- to, start to develop. Mm-hmm. You see that in Mean Streets when like, it opens with a Stone song. I think I want to say Street Fighting Man. But it opens with that song. And, like, so you know he's got, like, a good ear for pop music underlying, yeah. like, um, underlying, like, the sensibilities of his movies. Mm-hmm. But, like, this is the first time he's delved into, like, jazz music. And he's a big yeah. jazz and blues guy. And, like, this is the first time he's really, like, put that on screen. Yeah. And so I think, like... As far as that goes, it's worth the watch, but you can just look up the musical scenes on YouTube, yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, honestly, and they're done really well. They're super well done. Like, those scenes are incredible yeah. um, and, and really well done. Um, look out for, if you do watch it, look out for the big man, Clarence Clemens from Bruce Springsteen oh, yeah. and the E Street Man in his role Playing as a trumpet, trumpet. player yeah. in, in this in the, band. In the Harlem Club, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those were some of my favorite scenes were actually yeah. the scenes in the Harlem Club. Like, super well shot. And like, yeah. That was, like, what you were talking about, the, mm-hmm. like, the bebop yeah. type stuff. Um, and, like, compared that to, like, the Tommy Dorsey of the yeah. the opening, it's mm-hmm. completely different. Yeah. Um, you know, and even, I would say, a little bit, a little bit, um, Scorsese likes to play around with race 
Mm-hmm. Not not super crazy, like yeah. not like Spike Lee yeah. <laughs> status, but like like every once in a while he'll like he like puts a white character in like a very like black yeah situation yeah. or environment, and like he'll do that with like black characters. He'll put them in like very white environments, mm-hmm. but not in like not even for laughs. Just yeah. sort of like I think he's just interested by that, yeah, because he thinks New York is a melting pot because it is, especially yeah. in that time. Like he just he he likes to explore like what a character of a race that isn't the majority in the yeah. that environment is doing. Mm-hmm. And like we see that a lot with like Robert De Niro's character. Yeah. He gets along a lot with the black guys yeah. over a lot of the white yeah. characters in the movie. He prefers being there playing like bebop with them. Yeah. So he it, it's kind of the birth of that too. Yeah. Um I think a lot of his movies can be accused of racism i don't think that's necessarily true but Mm -hmm. i can see how they would be yeah um he's not afraid of putting like really bad slurs in his movies from white characters Mm -hmm. but like it makes sense that they would talk that way yeah i've never been offended by anything he's done with race um it's just like it's almost like it makes you wince because it's like a harsh reality almost yeah because it's like that was the time period or whatever environment he's trying to go for it's like that's yeah it's hard to hear because those things are true. Yeah. yeah. Of those types of, of those, people. Yeah. Um, you know, like, like right out of the, like the opening monologue to the departed, Jack Nicholson says the N word, but he's like this, like big time Irish, you know, mafia guy mm-hmm. that's had to vie for like control of Boston with like other black, like mafia yeah. guys. So like, he's got a distaste for them cause they're competition. Yeah. So like, he says that word like a few times over the course of the movie yeah. and it's like never okay. Yeah. But like, I don't think like it means that the guy who wrote it or like Scorsese is a racist for doing that. Mm-hmm. I think they're showing this guy being despicable and yeah. racist. Like it's yeah. a character trait, yeah. not like, Oh yeah, we hate yeah, not a particular a race. On the, yeah. So, and Scorsese, like, never shies away from that, and I kind mm-hmm. of appreciate that, because yeah. I think it's something we're starting to lose a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Tarantino kind of started to delve into that recently with, like, you know, doing Django Unchained, yeah. like, a white director directing a slavery movie that's yeah. also a revenge movie, and, like, they say that word a lot in that movie, too, yes. but, like, it makes sense. Yeah. It doesn't not make sense. It mm-hmm. sucks, but <laughs> it, it makes sense. So... You get a little bit of that, not a lot, um, wow. in, in a lot of those scenes. And it's not even that anyone's really racist. It's just, like, you can tell he's interested in how races interact yeah. with each other. And I think that's interesting. So Yeah. You, you see a lot of, like, glimpses of what will be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, like, pretty fascinating. But, man, it's a tough movie to watch. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. So, do you have any other thoughts on New York, New York? Um, I I don't know. Um, good song that came out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. I think um, <laughs> you know. I think overall, like, this is the first movie that is truly like bad. We literally like, quote bad. <laughs> yeah. That that I've watched on the show. So it's interesting to like not even put I'm, a like. If you're interested, watch it. I'm glad I could share this experience with you yeah. and you internet world too. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, that's the first like quote bad movie we've we've done on the show. Um if you guys have other thoughts, if any of you out there have seen New York, New York, I'm gonna be real surprised. But if you yeah. have, um email me before and after show at gmail.com. You can mm-hmm. follow me on Twitter at before and after pod. That's at before the letter N after pod and uh oh i need a logo 
if you guys have noticed, I don't have a logo. So if you guys uh, know anyone or can put me in touch with anyone that can yeah, do a logo for the show, uh, we got music now. Next step is a logo. Yeah. Um, all this goes to getting the show on iTunes. Yep. So uh, yeah, um, hopefully that'll be coming down the line soon. Until next time, go watch something. Sweet. <laughs>